when we when we're in a weekend like the, uh, Easter, there's often uh, you know, uh, there's if, if if you're anything like me, I, sometimes I feel like moments of like well, it feels really normal, and then there are moments where I feel like man, I really am feeling like I want to observe, and then there are moments where I feel like man, I really want to praise, um, and and I think about the week that Jesus experienced. Um, and he probably had all of those. He probably had all of those. Um, sometimes, you know, it's easy in church world to move right from Palm Sunday to Good Friday. But from Palm Sunday to Good Friday, he, Jesus, you know, he cleaned out the temple, right? He flipped tables over and, and got rid of corruption. Um, he discipled Peter in a really unique moment in his life. He washed the feet of his followers. Um, because because Good Friday is he didn't skip from Palm Sunday to Good Friday, and and neither do we. We live a life that's holistic as well, and the kingdom of God is more about just a ticket out of here. It's about moments where we are following hard after Him, and and that leads us to moments where we are realizing um, what separated us from God, and we observe a night like tonight. Uh, so that we can we can give honor to Jesus, we can thank Him for all that He did, but we can recognize grace in a fresh way. Um, but He didn't skip from Sunday to Friday. And uh, the other the other just moment that I always think about every Good Friday is that is that Jesus. I don't think the miracle isn't so much that the King of the Universe resurrected; it's that He died. Think about that. Jesus, um, all of life came through him. Wouldn't you expect the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of all things to live? And the fact that he died and he subjected himself to that moment is so amazing to me. And so we take it very seriously, take it very in a somber way, but we know Friday isn't all there is because Sunday's coming. Sunday's always coming. And so no matter where you're at today, some of us could be right in the midst of a season of really feeling the effects of sin. You could really be feeling that in a, in a strong moment. And we have to recognize that, but we also have to understand that Friday isn't all there is. That Sunday's coming. And so we get to joyfully move there. So tonight we're going to move in that direction as the night progresses. We're just going to be here for another, about another three hours, if that's okay for you. Um, but we're going to progress in that direction tonight. And uh, if you grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 22. We're just going to be here for a few minutes. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But we just want to help you progress tonight. I just want to help you progress from death to life. It's going to help you progress from death to life. So we're going, to be in, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. And this week, we're using the story of Peter to move, us, um, to move us towards Easter. And we're following his journey. And, uh, and on, on Sunday, we realized that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And not do you love me, but do you like me? Would you choose me? Do you enjoy me? And tonight, we're going to realize Peter was asked another question. Peter was asked a question, are you one of Jesus' followers? And, and Peter, 
uh, unfortunately denies his identification with Jesus tonight. Um, uh, and it's, it's this moment of, I always, sometimes I kind of struggle with why it's there. I'm like, oh, you know, do we need that? Do we need that one? I don't, I don't know. It's really hard because it seems so oh, personal. But I think in Peter's life, it's so important. We all have these moments of really, uh, really uh, peculiar interaction with sin that leads us to all sorts of new things. And that's what was in Peter's life. Uh, but Peter denies Jesus. And tonight, um, we're going to move through that story. But here's really what I think Peter's going to teach us through his denial, is that the bitterness of sin lets us taste the sweetness of grace. We can't move past Friday because Friday is death. Friday is dead. Friday is dying. Friday is when everything is wilting. Everything's falling apart. Friday is chaos. Friday is, is separation. And Friday causes separation anxiety. But Friday leads to Sunday. So we have to move through Friday. We have to do the death. We have to do the burial. And we have to do the resurrection. And so we have to understand the bitterness of sin lets us taste the sweetness of grace. If you have just the grace, you have pats on the back. If you have just sin, you just have a, a, a dad that you can never please. But if you understand sin, you move into the sweetness of grace. And I think that'll be good for us to do together tonight, amen? So tonight, um, I'm just gonna encourage you just do the story of Peter on this Good Friday that in our sin, in our separation from God, in our, in our uh, in interaction uh, with ourselves, sin being anything that we contribute to or are affected by the brokenness of the world, in our sin, Peter's, going to, Peter's story is gonna tell us a few things. So Luke 22, verse 31 says this. Simon, Simon, this is, Peter talk, this is Jesus talking to Peter. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Let's skip down to uh, verse number 54. It says this, so they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. This is Jesus. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I am not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, some, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you were talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us. And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. 
And so just a few things from this story. Number one, in our sin, we have to remember the greater battle. Verse 31 says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. That is incredibly horrifying to me. And we have to remember that this is not the only battle taking place, the battle of our life. But in the unseen realm, the Bible calls it, there are battles taking place for the souls of people between, between evil and good, between, between life and death, between Satan and Christ. And this battle is taking place, but Good Friday reminds us that Jesus already beat him, that his victory is already there. This, this thing's been happening ever since the fall. Genesis chapter three says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first prophecy to what is going on here. If Paul says it this way in Ephesians uh, chapter six, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And this isn't meant to freak us out tonight, but if Jesus has victory, he has to have victory over somebody. And that victory is Satan. And, and Satan has literally been moving through this entire story, trying to make it all bend towards him. But Jesus, in his death, Go, has to enter into death in order to defeat death. In order for there to be life of no accord of our own and no strength of our own, no, uh, no in, in engagement of our own, there's nothing, no button we can push in order for death to be, to be beaten, but Jesus in his life and in his divinity defeats it. And so we remember, okay, there's something bigger going on here in our sin is often caught in that. So we have to remember there's a big battle going on that Jesus is going to win here tonight. So the second thing he, he encourages us is, is, is in our sin, we have to remember that there's a big battle, but we have to trust in Jesus' intercession for us. So I love this. Jesus says, look, Simon, Satan has asked, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Nobody's said that to you, right? That's, an, that's a very like, a, a alarming statement. But he says, but I have pleaded in prayer for you. Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you repent, turn to me and strengthen your brothers. He says, I have interceded for you. I've pleaded for you. And that's what he's saying to you tonight in your sin and your brokenness and your destruction and all of these things that you're feeling and all of these things, engagements that you're, that you're trying so hard to stomach and to shoulder right now and putting on good faces and really trying to press through because life is hard. Come on. He's saying, he said, I am pleading and interceding on your behalf. Look what it says in Romans. He's gonna encourage us this. It says, who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. How many times is the word for in this statement? A lot of times we come into Good Friday just thinking, okay, we, gotta, we just gotta get through Friday and we gotta remember how bad we are. But no, Good Friday reminds us how good he is. And so his foreness for you, 
Never leave a gathering realizing that Jesus is mad at you. He's always reminding that he is for you first and that he lovingly moves you through. We're gonna get to that in a second. Jesus is interceding for you and his intercession led to death on a cross and closed the gap that you can never close. He closed a gap that you can never in your own efforts close. You were dead in sin, but Jesus made you alive in Christ. And so we trust that. We don't do it, we trust it. Are we tracking on that? We trust it. We breathe, we rest, we trust in Jesus' intercession. And so he's gonna say, I, I've ple- I'm pleading for you. And then Peter, look at Peter, you know, this is Peter, right? We're studying Peter. You know, Peter's this fisherman brash guy. He goes, you know what? No, I'm, I'm gonna die with you. No, 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 I'm going to pray. Wherever they take you, I'm going with you. And I think what, what Peter's story reminds us in our sin, not only do we have to remember a great battle, not only do we have to trust Jesus' intercession, we can't rely on our strength. Man, how many times when we're confronted with our own shame, confronted with our own stuff, confronted with our own sin, we don't, instead of, instead of falling to our knees, which we'll read about in a second, we puff up. And in that moment, we fight, we, we cut off, we flee, we do all sorts of things. And when we're interacting with sin, a lot of times we try to muscle it to the ground. And Jesus invites us to trust him not to rely on our own strength. This is what Paul is gonna encourage us. He says, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I've always said this for, for five years now that I've been here at the church. That's the response that Paul has when he understands the love of God. When you understand the love of God, it is not this puffing up that you experience. It's deep honor and it's deep kneeling, it's prayer. You're gonna feel this compulsion to just honor and adore and, and, and have your affections stirred. You're gonna have this moment where you're saying, I fall to my knees and I pray. I pray that from his glorious grace, unlimited resources, he will empower you with outer strength. No, 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 he's not gonna empower you to say, no, no, I'll go wherever you want, God. I'll do whatever you know. I'm going to empower you with the inner strength. That might lead you there, but I'm going to empower you with the inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. So Good Friday, he wants you to remember, man, there's a battle going on, but Jesus is going to win it. He wants you to remember that you're not interceding on your behalf. You need an intercessor. You need a mediator, and that mediator is Jesus. And he's gonna say to you, don't rely on your strength. Fall on your knees. When you're in your sin and you're just reminded of sin and you're just broken, you you don't try to muscle it to the ground. You fall on your knees and you honor, and you adore, and you let the peace that passes all understanding guard your heart in Christ Jesus. 
And then look what Peter does if, if, if further down after he denies him three times. This is so important, guys. This is so important for Good Friday. It's so, good, so important for, for us. Peter, he recognizes his sin. This is, not, this is not something that we like to talk about often because, man, we're resurrection people. We're resurrection people tonight. We're always resurrection people because resurrection, is, it's, it's happened and it's always changed everything. But he recognizes his sin and when he recognizes his sin, what does he do? Man, he, he weeps. He weeps. Sin is so serious. Sin, it makes us so, we're so messy. It makes us so messy. And we toy around with it like it's just another part of our life we need, that we need to develop through. But sin is what, exactly why Christ needed to die on your behalf and free you from it. That's how serious it is. And he recognizes it and he weeps. Without Jesus' death on the cross, you get God's separation. You get God's wrath. That's what the Bible says. It's this really awkward kind of understanding. Like, man, man he, can't, he just hates sin. He can't be together with sin. And, and, and what happens is always throughout the Bible, they need to sacrifice things in order to get the pleasure of God and what that does once and for all in Jesus is satisfied. And so instead of God's anger, we get God's righteousness. And when we recognize his sin, when he recognizes his sin, he realizes what separation from God really entails. He recognizes what separation really entails, and it's complete. It's so lonely for Peter. It's just lonely. It's isolating. And you see that he is completely uh, just just turned upside down over it. I've talked to many people in our church, just when they're interacting with their sin, it causes deep anguish in them. And, that's, and it's good to be there, but it's bad to stay there because we're resurrection people. And it always will lead you somewhere else. This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 7 where he says there's a kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience and it leads us away from the sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. And so that death, that anguish without repentance. In fact, David says at one point, it was, like just, it, it was rotting my bones, but when I confessed, it was like life that breathed into my body. Yet sin is so serious. And he says it's okay to experience the sorrow of sin so that you can be led to repentance. You can be led to turning away from it. You can be led to drawing better boundaries. You can be led to drawing new freedoms. You can be, you can be led to away from sin into this relationship with God that creates a whole new way of life right here in the midst of this one. And so there's this really uh, kind of an old book. Thomas Watson talks about this. Uh, this is an old pastor, theologian, but he talks about the effects of the effects of repentance and, and how to really move through it. And Jesus, um, actually, he speaks to all of these in his seven last statements on the cross. 
And, and, and in order for you to recognize your sin, you've got to see a few things. Number one, you have to see your sin. You have to see your sin. There's sight of sin, and Jesus doesn't condemn. He gives grace. One of the first things Jesus says on the cross, Father, forgive them. You think Jesus, I mean, none of us, none of us, we have a hard time forgiving the person in front of us at Dunkin' Donuts. And, and this guy, I just am so moved by this every good Friday that, that this guy was, was, he was saying, forgive the people that literally just beat me. They don't know what they're doing. That challenges me to my core. Just as a man, just as a, a father, as a, as a husband, I'm just challenging, challenged by that. He sees, but when we see sin, we can be met with God's grace. Then we move to sorrow. There's salvation, though, because he says to, he says to the guy, today you will be with me in paradise. When we have sorrow in our sin, we can remember that Jesus is always inviting us into relationship. He's never asking us to flee from him. Then we have confession of sin. Sorrow will always lead to confession. How many times have we been like, oh, man, this is a mess? Will always lead to confession. And there we're met with Jesus calling us into relationship even deeper, where he says, son, here is your mother. Mother, here is your son. Jesus at the cross is creating community. It's challenging to the core that he is just completely bringing this out into the open on his, literally his deathbed. He's creating meaningful, deep community between, between mother and son, son and mother. And so in your confession, you know there's community, you know there's relationship with him. From there, you go into a, uh, uh, the, confronting the shame of sin. When we confront, we, we, we will often be remembered that we will often remind ourselves we're really good at this. That we aren't good people. That's what we tell ourselves. And then we remember, this is what I tell Channing all the time, Channing, who created you? God. And how did he create you? He created me Good. Sin will always make you feel shameful. Jesus always delivers you from shame because he was never created. He never created you for that. We do that to ourselves. And so you see Jesus being human. He said, I'm thirsty. Thirsty. And this is how terrible an experience of that is that when, when they tried to give him some drink on a sponge, it was literally the only thing they used a sponge nowadays was basically like a Scott toilets roll paper, to a roll of toilet paper. That's what they would have used that sponge for. You can see they didn't take it. It's gross. It's disgusting. But there's this nastiness of, sh- of sin and shame that gets wrapped up in this. And Jesus reminds us that he is human with you, understands every part of who you are, and leads you to freedom and gives you deliverance. Then there's the seriousness of sin. Jesus says, man, why have you forsaken? He can say, God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus is forsaken, so you don't have to be. And so adopts us into his family. And then there's, lastly, the repentance of sin, where Jesus finally says, 
it is finished and I'm going to commit my spirit into your hands. We are, we are led from seeing sin to repenting of sin and that's where we're going to be led. Peter leads us there real fast at the end. Not only, does he, not only does his story remind us that in our sin we have to remember the battle, we have to understand that Jesus, and we have to trust in Jesus' intercession for us, not into your intercession, not in your great work, but in his great work. We have to understand and we have to deeply love and enjoy and engage all that he is. We have to continue to move through um, that we aren't the strong ones, that he's the strong one, that we aren't the good ones. He's the good one and he gives us his goodness. We have to recognize our sin. We have to do that hard work to understand that we are what, what is causing separation, the ways that we're participating in the brokenness of the world. But then lastly, we have to repent of sin. That's what I love about Peter's story, gang. This is what I love about Peter's story is that here we don't get to see the redemption of his personality. His personality is a strong leader guy. And he's in, the, 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 he's in, he's in the, the courtyard of the high priest's house, and he completely denies Jesus. But here's what he does in Acts chapter 4. When you see after the resurrection, it says this. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. This is after Peter had preached a sermon and 5,000 people trusted in Jesus. So apparently all the church leaders needed to talk about it because that's what we do really well, apparently. And as the high priest was there, along with Caiaphas, Caiaphas was there when Jesus was uh, questioned. John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest, they brought in the two disciples and demanded by what power or in whose name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed or for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. See, I love this. Peter in his sin, he understands the battle. He gets that he's a strong guy. He gets that he's this just real rigid, real rugged dude. When he falls, he recognizes the sin. He understands the, the intercession of Jesus. He recognizes this, but he ultimately finds a new pattern of life in the resurrection of Jesus. See, he's in the same spot. There's a good chance that literally he's in the same spot that he denied Jesus three times in. And because of his repentance, because he understands that Jesus is, what Jesus' death meant for him, that he doesn't have to show up in strength that he doesn't have to, to try to manhandle sin by himself, that he actually takes it seriously. He doesn't just try to mow it over with the, a lawnmower, but he actually roots it up. He understands that he doesn't, he doesn't have the set of keys, but Jesus has the set of keys that gives him victory over all of his sin. And in repentance, he turns back to God's intention for his life. 
And here he is in the same type of moment, the same, the rulers and the elders are there. And it's not just little girls this time. A little servant girl building, he's like, I don't know, man. But he's speaking to the rulers of the, of the town, the rulers of the area. He's saying, you know what? No, I'll tell you by what power this happened is by the power of Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm believing for you tonight. I pray that you recognize your sin. But man, I pray that you take it seriously enough to lay it at the foot of the cross and by the power of Jesus be set free from it. And you know what? Some of us, we might scream and yell and shout and thank God for that. But you know, you know, every time this happens for me, I find myself like the tax collector in Matthew where he just says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. But the Bible is good to announce that it's in his kindness that we are set free. In his mercy, we are set free. So on this Good Friday, I pray that you're encouraged that there's a battle going on and it's tough, but Jesus has the keys to it. He's interceding for you, pleading for you right now. He doesn't condemn you, he's for you. He's loving you, lovingly pulling you forward. And so that gives us the freedom not to be strong, but to recognize our sin and to repent. So tonight, the Bible says that we announce the Lord's death and resurrection until he returns. And so we're just in this moment, this cycle, where we are just allowing Jesus to change us and move us and shape us. And at the table tonight, the one thing that connects all of us is this. Sin broke all of us. And we all need a Savior. So on this Good Friday, I pray that we can take sin seriously, repent of it, so that we can see a whole new way of life come forward. Let us honor and adore Jesus tonight. Let us pursue him, not as a religious task, but as, a, as an engaged and passionate follower, as someone in relationship with him. Let him pierce your heart. Let him speak to you. Let him call out the ways that, you know, things are mess, being messed up. Don't be shameful because Jesus said no one condemns you. But take it seriously and give it to Jesus so that we can repent and ultimately see a whole new way of life right here in the midst of this one.